Welcome to TechVets, the podcast, a show dedicated to exploring the world of tech and cybersecurity through the eyes of industry leaders and ex-forces personnel. In this show, we're marking Remembrance 2021. Joining us is TechVets Ambassador General Sir Richard Barons, who is former Commander of Joint Forces Command, and Alistair Halliday, CEO of the RFEA, the Forces Employment Charity. Uh, welcome, all of you. Can I start with you? Uh, Sir Richard, remembrance, what what does that mean to you? Well, I think there's both um, a, a general and a personal angle to remembrance. The, the, the first thing is um, the country needs to remember that it has fought many wars in its past and it will fight wars again in its future. And Remembrance uh, Day um, is, a, is a moment when we can reflect on the, the cost of war, its general folly, uh, and remind ourselves that although sometimes it is necessary, it's never to be undertaken uh, lightly, and the consequences are always terrible at an individual and and often at a at a societal level, and at a personal level, uh, for people like me who spent forty years in uh, uniform, it's an opportunity to remember uh, my own uh, friends and comrades who uh, either died. Uh, or suffered life-changing injuries in the various campaigns I took part in. Alistair, is it always a solemn memorial, or is there any message of hope there too? I think it's always a very, um, uh, a very sort of moving time of the year. I mean, there are elements of remembrance which do happen at other times of the year, but I think it's the, the one time when the whole nation sort of comes together to reflect on it. You know, from you think you know the leadership from the royal family and the number of people who actually go to the event on uh, on actually Remembrance Sunday. So I, I think it is right that it is a time to to look back and reflect and uh, consider all the uh, the sacrifices done by so many uh, in these various uh, conflicts. And it isn't just about you know the first and second world wars, although that has been quite a focus. It has been on those also those conflicts much more recently. And even those who have actually lost their lives, um, not actually on, on operation. So I think it, it has to be a, a time to for sort of sombre reflection, um, but also uh, in, in a very in a very positive way as well. And I think it's I think it, it's become part of the, the national psyche when you look at the, the year, when you come out of the, you know, the end of the summer. And, uh, and I always think it's quite an interesting indicator. You have the last night, the proms in Albert Hall and then six weeks later is the Festival of Remembrance, which is a really very moving thing which gets people together. But I, I completely agree with, with, with Sir Richard. It, it's, there are things to, to remember from a more, perhaps a more sort of professional level, but also it, they all brings back personal recollections of our own uh, friends uh, and colleagues and comrades who have actually, we've, we've lost. So I think it's a very moving period. I mean, you're uh, the head of the RFEA, which which looks after uh, veterans after their service. I mean, is it as important to them as it is to serving personnel? Is, is, is or is it a, a, a national? Uh, is it a national commemoration? How, which of those do you see it as mainly? I think it is very much a national thing. I mean, clearly, when people are serving, it's it's a major thing. I mean, I was just reflecting on my memories of. Uh, Remembrance Sundays I've done in various ports around the world, around the UK, uh, and laying wreaths and everything. We've got memories of that. So it's quite a, a major thing. But I think perhaps when you're a veteran, looking back, um, it perhaps has even more resonance um, when you're looking back and, uh, and, 
just remembering, reflecting on some of the operations you've been on and some of the, the friends and, and people that, you, that have, have laid down their lives. So, so I, I think it's, it, it is a very, very strong emotion, I think, which, is brought, which comes about. I think that's, that's a really important point. I think um, it, it, it is a national, um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a national event, but at the same time, especially for those that have served, it becomes very personal um, because of the experiences that people have had. You know, and I, before, I, before I joined, you know, my family have always been big in, in remembrance and, and remembering those from the, from the Great Wars. And that had a, a you know, very huge impact on, on how we approached conflict um, from, you know, since then. But then once I'd served, you know, I think back to my first operational deployment in, in, you know, into Afghanistan and, you know, we lost a number of people. The average age of those lost was 23, three of them only 19 years old. You know, when, when you have that sort of impact um, in your life, I think it becomes a very personal uh, event. So I think there's a very important point about the, the different way people appreciate mortality as they go through life. So the services average age is somewhere around 23. And, you know, as James has described, many are, are much younger. And, and when you're 19, you think you're immortal and life just stretches ahead of you uh, uh, in, in a way that will seem to go on forever. And, and it won't. So when you're that age and, and you are confronted by remembrance, it ought to remind you that life really is fragile uh, and there really are consequences. And I think there's a particular digital age point here is that so many young people now are of the gaming age. Uh, and that, so they're used to engaging in things where you get killed theoretically, but then you magically get recreated. And, and it, it breeds this sense that there aren't, fatal consequences to some uh, actions. And I think being confronted by the, the reality of remembrance where, where they are thinking about their forebears in their, in their services who, who didn't make it back ought to remind them um, that they're not immortal. And then I think for the veteran community who are further down the road of life, they're probably more aware of the mortality. Um, they will absolutely appreciate that the people that, that they left behind when they were serving um, didn't have the rest of their lives to enjoy and it had consequences for their family and it will certainly make them think hard about uh, why you go to war in the future and that it should only ever be a last resort. I, I also wonder whether some of those veterans as well I mean how many of those veterans it's very difficult to you know to understand um, the, the number but how many have had issues how many have had difficulties with mental health PTSD etc having had very difficult experiences in their time and remembrance is a way in which they can come back together with people of a similar similar ilk, um, you know, with the military community to remember those, to sort of confront that um, that PTSD, that that sort of catastrophic moment in their life, um, together with people that they know and love and cherish. I, I suppose I, I wonder how how important it is for them in that regard. Perhaps it is. A, I mean, it's the key. It is such a sort of focus, and I think that one of the major things for for veterans to be able to do is the sort of comradeship, and and way before people get into you know, more complex, needing clinical hair, uh, support. I think uh, an awful lot of good happens when, frankly, veterans get together, chat, and, and I think the, the, around the sort of period of remembrance, I mean, some of the parades, people get together, go and have a glass of rum or so afterwards. Uh, I mean, it's great for that, that reuniting comradeship bit, which is really good, very good for their soul. Um, but as you say, James, and uh, sadly, there are quite a few uh, who actually need more support in the mental health space and, and whether it's in, in terms of acute PTSD or, or whatever. But it's I, I think it's, it's a whilst we perhaps reflect and say, yeah, it is a, a one of the more sombre 
periods of the year, it's also worth saying that it's great time for people to get together again and meet up and chat uh, as they as they remember old mates and colleagues and shipmates or whatever. Um, but also reunite and, and get together again. So there's a positive side to it too. What does it do for the wider community, for those who haven't served, um, Alistair? Um, well, it's a good question, actually, because I think um, I think there are many people who, who perhaps don't have that many links with the armed forces today. It does resonate with them. Uh, I mean, I remember sometimes, you know, going back years ago when I was at school, I mean, that, that was the sort of time when actually there was no silence there was no sort of two minute silence. If you remember, it started off and then I think the, the country got out of the habit of it. So um, although, you know, were there more people who understood it then? Um, I think there was a period where we were starting to get worried that not enough people really understood what it meant. And more recently, I think due to the, frankly, due to Afghanistan and Iraq, I mean, the number of, sadly, the number of casualties which we took, um, that increased the perception of armed forces in the, in the public eye. Uh, and many, you know, campaigns, you know, whether in the start of things like Help for Heroes and the Sons campaign. So I think the positioning of the armed forces and the sacrifice was a, a suddenly became a major thing. So 10, 12 years ago. So the last few years was slightly worrying, perhaps we've seen a, a redu reduction in that. It's, it's not reducing down to a minimal level, but it, it is slightly on the wane. And I think it's very important for those of us who do really believe in, and take this seriously to make sure we do talk about it and hopefully to retain. But I mean, you know, I'm a chair of governors of school. I mean, schools are really all over this now uh, and perhaps more so than they were, say, 30, 20, 30 years ago. So that's positive. So I think we should be pretty clear about the politics of uh, of today. If, if, if you look at the business of defence and security in our country, it generally ranks below don't know as an issue at a general election. Yeah. Very few people... Uh, in our country have any sense of existential peril. They're not afraid of invasion or civil war. Uh, they're actually not much afraid of their daily life becoming too uncomfortable as we've just seen with the, 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 the petrol crisis. Uh, and, and they may have a, a family connection to a veteran or a, a relative that you know, died in the first or second world war. That may mean something, but uh, as, as first described, when the nation um, isn't committed to military operations that incur casualties, it slips a long way away from the public consciousness. And um, I suppose we should see that as, as natural and to some degree, to some degree, a healthy thing. Where it isn't healthy is that as the business of war slips away from the public conscience, it, it makes the idea of going to war um, somehow fresh or new or even glamorous because people haven't got in mind the consequences of having gone to war uh, in the past. Uh, and therefore, the temptation to fight or to resort to force in some degrees becomes easier if you don't pay enough attention to, uh, to remembrance. And I'm, I'm not arguing that um, we should shy away from this in, in, in any way. And the reason I argue for that is that we are used to an act of remembrance that is focused perhaps on the First or Second World Wars and the campaigns in Iraq and Afghanistan of, of late. Uh, and yet we still have no sense of peril. The world that our politicians and academics are describing to us is about a war that has, uh, a world that has far greater peril in it. You know, the, 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 the rise of a world which is battling against its own planet, um, where, where the, 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 you know, the safety um, or, or sense of certainty that a US-led era gave us for about 30 years, all of that is evaporating. And it is very much more likely that the, the, the generations alive today 
will be confronted by existential level risk in their lifetimes for which in some cases it may be necessary to fight. And, and if we think about that, that means that we, we should focus more on remembrance so that if we have to fight, it's done for the right reasons because it is essential or inevitable um, or unavoidable and not undertaken lightly just because we forgot about the consequences of wars in the past. So remembrance is a kind of social insurance policy that we should we should take part in to keep us on on a, on a, on a sort of social straight and narrow. Would you go further and say that it, you know, it, it also uh, adds to a sense of respect within society because of the way wider society feels about former and serving personnel? And I think that the, the, the most important point thing is remembrance should be part of our cultural fabric. It's part of understanding the reality of the world that we live in and the nature of mankind. Mankind fights. I mean, people will argue that we could grow out of it, but you know, as a species, we clearly uh, we clearly haven't yet. So, so the first thing is, everybody needs to think about war at some point as part of their education and their political life. So, the fact that schools focus on remembrance is a very, very uh, good thing. The, the second thing, um, which is more particular to the armed forces, is to recognise that when we send people to fight, and and let's remember. Big wars, wars that matter, are always won by civilians. They're not won by the regular armed forces. They're, they're sort of too small and they get the thing started. But the price paid in the big wars in our history are, are men and women who, who leave their, their jobs and their families and their, and their villages and their towns and their way of life and they go to fight. And then when the war is over, they go back to uh, their normal existence. And they bring with them all the consequences of having had to undertake that fight. So... There should always be great respect for those people who have gone to fight, but we should recognise that respect is about respecting our own society, the, the many civilians who go to fight. It's not just about the recent experience of our, of our regular forces. And it should certainly stimulate uh, the thought that um, fighting always has consequences, mental and, and physical and and institutional and, and you know, in, the, in terms of the livelihood of families, that the way they thought they lead their life is torn apart because someone went went to fight. And we have to recognise if we're going to fight, we have to pay the price. We have to live with those consequences and look after the people who fought. That, that is the price of having to fight. And it's non-negotiable. James, um, can I be a little bit of a devil's advocate and, 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 and just ask you to continue that point? But down the line of... It felt like Alice was saying twelve years ago. Remembrance perhaps felt was 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 different to what it is now, and it certainly felt like we went through a period where remembrance was being used by government to popularise what many people consider to be unpopular actions overseas. Have we got remembrance back on the right track for wider society? Do you think? Uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, and I would refute that idea to to an extent, because I think I, I don't necessarily think the government were trying to popularise something. I, but, but what I do think they were doing was carrying on the tradition where there was a, a substantial rise in counter um, narratives, counter arguments in, in the media, which clearly, you know, in today's society can can pick up uh, momentum very, very quickly through social media platforms. Um, but but I think remembrance has always been a fairly steady beast. Um, you know, I, I can't remember a time where there haven't been uh, events all around the UK um, leading up to and during 
the actual uh, the, the actual immediate period of remembrance. I think it's strong. I think what is what is increasingly strong now is the sense of community, um, especially coming off the back of the pandemic. People have realised that that looking out for one another is something that is quite important. We have that in abundance within the military community. And now there are so many organisations uh, and platforms for veterans to engage on that actually I think the whole of the military community is coming together stronger than ever, uh, generally speaking. Um, I think the government are starting to appreciate that the people involved in these conflicts, uh, the military people involved in these con conflicts, they don't decide to do it themselves. The people are the same. The, the, the general population realise that you know, private Joe Bloggs has no political inclination to go and, and, and fight a war somewhere on, on their own right. You know, they're doing their job um, for what they feel is, is, is right. Um, and I think we went through that period with the Afghan, Afghan and Iraq um, conflicts where we had that step change, where it stopped being about everyone involved in the military is wrong for these, these conflicts. And it was maybe the wrong political decision that that was the argument. Um, and the people involved were just people involved and we should still remember them. There was still a sacrifice. There was still a loss um, that, that wasn't just felt within the military community, the family, the friends, the relatives. And that starts spanning out into a wider civilian community. And I think the strength there um, was kind of regained quite nicely if we did ever lose it. And I don't I don't really I don't really feel like we lost um, the strength of remembrance, to be honest. I think the narrative was just changing on the surface. I think there's always a danger that, that remembrance gets gets pulled in one or both of two unfortunate directions. That the, the first is it gets pulled into the glorification of war, which is a, you know just a terrible idea, and I don't think it's really uh, prevalent in the UK. And and equally uh, unfortunate is it gets it gets conflated with pacifism, because it isn't about pacifism. I, I think what remembrance recognises is war is truly terrible. It's it should be the last resort, but it is sometimes unavoidable and and necessary in, in the way that mankind uh, has developed. And, and so it should provoke a thoughtful reflection on, um, on the business of fighting and its consequences, but it should not result in, in saying we will never fight because we surely will, particularly in the world we're going to move into. Um, and it absolutely should not um, dissolve into some glorification of war that makes it more tempting or seen as a good thing. And you know, I, I don't think that's very prevalent, but it should be stamped on if it appears. Alistair, I'm I'm feeling that both Sir Richard and James uh, are, are defining uh, remembrance, uh, which is is terribly important. Um, I'm I'm going to look to you to give me some hope that remembrance has changed a little bit over time, and uh, I wondered if you would agree that it is used as a platform to uh, to. You, know, you you talked about remembrance as being as, as changing throughout your life. Are we now seeing it as a platform, for example, to talk about the uh, welfare of, of veterans, um, which is one of your uh, big subjects, and of course is one of James's big subjects? I mean, I, I think I think remembrance is is a very strong thing, anyway. Uh, I mean, and I, I, I mean, I say when I'm, it, it's changed slightly, that's more the the way perhaps it was delivered and. Um, in, in the past compared to it, it has been say 10 years ago and, and, and now. And I also think, I'm not saying it really, it should be a platform. I, I mean, perhaps I wouldn't use that sort of language. I think it's something which is a very much part of our national psyche. And we, we think that's the right thing and hope long may that continue. Um, 
I suppose, is it a, something which then is an opportunity or a moment to reflect more widely on serving armed forces, personnel and some of the issues? Yes, it probably is, because I think probably for, for many people across the country who don't really spend much time thinking or considering people in the armed forces, it probably does act as, a, oh, well, this is the time of year when, you know, it, it's out everywhere, you know, Royal British Legion, the poppies. And so for some people with who are quite distant from it, uh, from the armed forces, it probably then makes them, gives an opportunity just to consider. So I suppose in a way, I'm about to un un unwrap when I said it's not really a platform. Well, perhaps I can see it is an opportunity perhaps to get some other messaging across, which I think some of the charities, uh, particularly Royal British Legion, do. And yes, there are a, a, a lot of, it isn't just about commemorating those um, who, who sadly gave the ultimate sacrifice. It is also a moment to consider others who are, are have other you know um challenges in life through their through their service so i, th I think it is i think it's right but i don't think that should become sort of a dominant thing about it um but it's just perhaps one of those natural things if people are going to think well gosh they see on the television the, the cenotaph and that makes them reflect a bit and then there's a lot more messaging around the, the wider experiences and the suffering and and frankly, the challenges that in mental health or other disabilities that some of our armed forces um, veterans uh, have. So I suppose it's it's a natural thing, even if it's not dedicated to be a platform to do that. It's just a, a reality that it's it can be used like that. And I think that the uh, the Remembrance Day itself, or, or particularly that week in November, it, it, it serves to remind us that the way we look after our veterans and their families in this country has always been a partnership between the services, those things that we do for ourselves, the charitable sector and the state. And the remembrance event um, is an opportunity to remind the state that they have to hold up their end of the log to encourage people to give to charity uh, and to allow the services uh, to set up what they do um, for their veterans. And we, we should recognise we've been very lucky for about a generation in that we really haven't had to deal with mass casualties. And 453 roughly fatalities in Afghanistan was less than a morning's casualties in the first and in some cases in the Second World War. So the numbers we're dealing with are very much smaller from a population of 67 million. So we absolutely ought to be doing a gleaming job of looking after our veterans and their, and their families. But then we should also remember that the possibility of going to war in the future where we deal with mass casualties again, it seems unlikely, um, but, but as the world turns and technology changes in a, in, a, in a world not least of nuclear weapons and other weapons of mass destruction, we need to think about that again. So we shouldn't think the consequences of war are small just because of our recent experience. I, I, I completely agree. And, and actually, I would also bring in one other consideration. It's actually... I think it's in how inappropriate how, how appropriate it is for for Britain for this country. We're we're used to this level, um, and I've actually been to some other countries. It's quite interesting seeing how others do it. Uh, and I was in Germany in Wilhelmshaven one one um, in a ship visit at the, at the time of Remembrance Sunday, and I think it, and the experience in America is different. I mean, there's much more. Um, it becomes a bigger issue. And yet other countries in Europe, it's much less than the way we do it in, in the UK. I think the way we do it in the UK is, is appropriate for our, our culture, our history, and it's something which we reflect on and we'll be proud of. Um, other countries go for it even bigger. 
Um, but others, it's less. But then there are other sort of historical reasons why that's the case. It's very binding, isn't it? I mean, as I watch my children march through the local high streets, you know, there's a there's a obviously a solemnity. There's a slight sense of jubilee about it, and there's a very very great sense of coming together uh, for you know me as a civilian, as I'm as I'm perhaps not as much as a veteran, but you know, in in a similar kind of way. So, I mean, when it comes back to that sense of respect, it does seem to work for society that we do this. There is a a danger with remembrance that, um, and and this is partly borne out of the the, the public feeling around the Iraq and Afghan uh, uh, wars, which is that the armed forces are seen somehow as victims um, when they're not. There are are victims and casualties of war, but the armed forces themselves, um, they, they exist to protect the country. And sometimes that is going to be necessary and it, and, it, and it will be hard, but we have volunteer armed forces. We don't, we don't uh, do conscription. Uh, and if we worked ourselves up to a point where, because we were so afeared of the consequences of fighting that we could not imagine any consequences when um, we, would, we would need to fight, then, then we would find our, our values and our interests as a country put in, in serious jeopardy. And, and the armed forces don't want to be seen as victims. You know, they want to be seen as, as what they are, which are uh, an institution to protect uh, the country. And sometimes um, where remembrance can go, um, can go off the rails is where it just focuses on, on, on this sense of soldiers, sailors, airmen and Marines as victims. And it's a lot more than that. James, that's your special area, isn't it? I mean, is there is a sometimes a sense within tech vets that, I mean, to put it very crudely, you know, you, it, it, it kind of helps that the armed forces of, uh, of can be victims, can be portrayed as victims, or are you much more front foot about the way you 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 market their services to cybersecurity? 100% front foot. Um, and I think that's where we're slightly different with, with many of the organisations that we work with. I think, you know, certainly um, as part of RFEA, um, you know, the, the main reason that we came together was we had a very shared um, perspective on, on how to support people uh, into employment post-military careers. And I think one of the big chances that we have is to get across the strengths and the experiences, the skills and the incredible character traits that so many of these men and women have. Um, and I think, you know, again, as, as Sir Richard said, we, we can sometimes be lost in this whole narrative that there are people that are so vulnerable and, and need help. And quite frankly, that sets the wrong tone. There are some, um, but the message has to be clear. We have people that have incredible experience um, within their military service. And generally speaking, uh, that's something that can add value to society. Um, as we've seen uh, on every time there's a crisis, it adds value to communities. It adds value to business um, and, and the economy. And I think that's the importance that I always place on, on the members within TechVets community is that they are a value add. And there are other organisations out there that can provide support to those that are in a vulnerable state. Alistair, how does the RFEA cope with this? I completely agree. I mean, it's absolutely key thing. And um, without doubt, over the years, there's been, from time to time, with sort of certain television programmes, sometimes the news media, um, there have been some times when, you know, there's been a depiction of people who serve, they're going to have some sort of issues, you know, Afghan flashbacks. And it actually, it is really counterproductive. And so our, our, we're, I mean, our liaison with our employers, and we've got relationships with about 9,500 companies across the UK, it is all about, you know, tapping into this incredible talent for people who have served in the armed forces, 
uh, the skills they've got, um, you know, the resilience, the team skills, the leadership management, all of these other great things, which makes them attractive. So my pitch is always is same as Sir Richard and James as well. You don't have to feel sorry for people who have served. They're not victims. They and even people who have actually got more challenging things, they'll still be very good for a company, for an employer in your market, in your workplace. Good for the bottom line. And, uh, and we've got countless cases of, of people who've been really quite, um, you know, quite badly injured, uh, recovered, have gone into companies and done incredibly well. So it's not a case of, oh, they're there to feel sorry for. Having said that, there are some who are more vulnerable and then do need more support, whether it's into employment or to other, in other parts of their life. And we've got a lot of mechanisms, a lot of support networks to, 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 to do exactly that. But that should not uh, remove the main message about People who've been in the armed forces are, are uh, have, have great experiences in, of their service, which they then put to tremendous use in their uh, civilian uh, jobs. Yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the vul- sorry, the, vul- the vulnerability part that, that I that I see is that with some careers, you can't just do a very short course at the end of your resettlement period and think you can land this whole career change so it's a vulnerable period because you've been in an institution which quite frankly sometimes is quite removed from the sort of business world in the in the terminology and some of the practices and processes the systems being used etc um, so I think you know the bit that we focus on if there is any vulnerability is making sure that people that, that, that those those individuals leaving the military have a really good understanding of what they need to do and what supports they can get from the likes of you know, tech vets, RFEA, et cetera, to help them, you know, make that, make that jump um, a little bit easier. So I, I think there are, there, are, there are two tragic vulnerabilities attached to the, to the way um, people are taken up into civilian employment when they leave. The, the, the first is many good people who've really thrived in the services uh, and have a huge amount to offer. They have character experience, self-discipline, um, leadership, uh, an ethos you don't find in um, in, in every walk of life. Uh, but what they don't have is any sense of how the commercial world works because they probably joined at about 17 or 18 years old. And, and the first tragedy I see is where you have really good people, typically, for example, a warrant officer who, you know, who has commanded men in difficult situations ends up um, thinking that they should man a gate or drive a lorry or do something that doesn't use a third of their, of their skill set because they can't find uh, the way in. And the equal and opposite side of the fence are civilian em- employers who have no personal understanding of the military. And what, and what little they do have is from, from a film like Saving Private Ryan or, or the Black Adder series from the, from, from the 1980s. And they struggle to think about, well, well, how could someone who's like that, quote unquote, fit into my, into my business? And... Um, we, we need to do everything we can to bridge that gap. And one way of bridging the gap, which TechBets does very successfully, is to give people the skills for the digital age that align with all the other qualities and then introduce them to employers. And, and I think our collective experience is quite often where we introduce one military person as the first into a commercial uh, e- enterprise. They are simply blown away with what they contribute and then they would like some more uh, and, and people who have joined to do quite basic things quite quickly end up running the show. And that's as it should be. I mean, there are only 140,000 regulars and there are about another 40,000 reserves in a country of 67 million people. So if even a third of the armed forces leave every year, 
frankly, employers should be fighting amongst themselves to hire them. Alistair, what do you find? Is it is 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 that the case in uh, in your world? Yeah, it, absolutely. Well, what's and we're we're going through a very interesting um, uh, period at the moment. I mean, I say post COVID. If we if we're actually getting to that um, right now, uh, a lot of employers, most employers, are crying out for veterans. They're crying out for more labour, more more. I mean, the number of vacancies today is at record numbers um, for the last twenty years. So. We couldn't, amazing, 12, 12 months ago, um, certainly during uh, most of last year, in the midst of sort of the COVID uh, thing, it was looking the other way. We we're forecasting high unemployment. Uh, a lot of um, vacancies have been taken off. I mean, companies were not recruiting and a lot of sectors were really down. A lot of sectors did very well and certainly including the, the tech cyber area. And that's where TechVet has been so brilliant in, in, in keeping this sort of steady flow of um of veterans going into that, that industry. Um, but actually what's happened now is quite interesting. So I, I, I worry now that we could be a, in a, in, at some stage in the future, we could go back to um, this, this issue of, if uh, at the moment the supply of veterans, if you like, to the marketplace, to the jobs is reduced because the numbers aren't there and th th there are more job vacancies. Some of these uh, companies can then say, OK, well, we're not bothered then about veterans. We'll have to go elsewhere. And then a year's time, it could be the other way around. We could have a surplus of people wanting to find jobs. So right now we're in probably because of the economy, possibly a bit of Brexit, but certainly about uh, COVID, I think the impact right now, it's a slightly unusual position to be in. And, and obviously during COVID, many people kept they stayed in. They didn't leave. So the, the there was a reduction in you know, people would keep their take their notices out if they were going to leave a lot, a lot of extensions of services that's about to change now i think more will be starting to leave again uh, and right now there are a lot of job vacancies uh, in the market and across various sectors um but we don't know how long that will carry on the, the fear i have and, and as sir richard highlighted is the underemployed um because if someone's going to be un unemployed sometimes you just can't avoid it that's maybe an individual that that's gone down the route that at some point there was something that just didn't click um, or they didn't plan correctly. Um, I think the underemployment is an easier one to catch a larger number of people. And that's to educate them on their own values as well, on the skills that they have in their service. Because, you know, as Sir Richard said, we have people coming out now um, who who will follow those traditional pathways. You know, we, we had Luke, in fact, Alistair and, and I spoke to Luke on, on, on the RFEA podcast. And it was, uh, you know, it was great to have him on to discuss how he'd gone from being a tank driver, natural route, into being an HGV driver because he had his HGV license. But until he had that someone to just flick the switch, provide him that sort of bit of motivation, that bit of confidence to go for something different, you know, he then went down a route that was into a technical career as a cyber consultant. But it's really difficult to do because you get, at the moment, it's still a, a slightly archaic process that you have this year to leave. And when you get to the end of that year, you are, you've been actively, proactively walking towards unemployment at that point. You've got to try and find a job at the end of the year. And when you do so, if you have a family, which mostly by the time they leave, there is incredible risk that you're just not going to be able to find a job that doesn't put food on the table, pay the bills. So, so it's then trying to get in there early enough to showcase to them the skills they have. And again, it's a wonderful cycle. We educate companies, industries, sectors on the values of veteran skills at the same time, 
getting those businesses to showcase how they understand the value. So the, the service leavers and veterans start to get that confidence that the business want them. Um, and, and again, and it's a wonderful cycle and that that's, it kind of serves itself to an extent, but it's really challenging. But the point that, that Sir Richard made is, is in that area where regardless of, of how many opportunities we have, how people see veterans, there will always be a desire to employ people out of the military. And that is in operational management and delivery, where people have this wonderful ability to work with multidisciplinary skills. Even in tech, where technology is wonderfully important, uh, there is a lot of people management that needs to happen. And there's a huge gap there. Understanding processes and systems, being able to think on your feet. And we've seen it in the pandemic. You know, for many of us, we had a you know, an almost jesting conversation about it being like a wonderful operational tour. You know, the operational tour bonus was the fact we weren't paying for a train ticket, but we also had our fridge and our family in the same room as us as we were hunkering down in isolation. And I think the way that we approach something chaotic, a crisis, um, is different. It's calm, it's manageable, and it, it makes everyone else feel confident. And I think that is something that's been brought out quite nicely in the pandemic. And I speak to a number of employers um, as I'm sure Alistair has probably, um, by the power of 10, um, who who really respect that aspect coming out of the military. And we should recognise that, the, you know, veterans come in many different uh, sizes, shapes and ages. So uh, we probably focus most on the 20-somethings um, who have solid military service, but an awful lot of life ahead of them and and need to retrain and find another, another career. And then there's other marketers, I think, are the the 30-somethings and the 40-somethings who have probably got more solid leadership experience in many cases uh, behind them. And with the right development, uh, those are the sorts of people that can run your company if you take them on. Um, they, they, you know, they need a start uh, and they, they need to learn in many cases you know, a new way of working in a new language, but they have an enormous amount to offer. And then there is the slightly greyer market, the 55-year-olds uh, now, um, Perhaps a decade ago, when they left at 55, most thought they were going to retire. Now, almost without exception, they're going to work for at least another 15 years. We're all going to do that. And that, that market is uh, it's just as important to recognise the skills and talents that they can bring into the, in, uh, to an employer as it is the 20-something. And um, perhaps remembrance is an opportunity to, to think about the full span of the veteran uh, market, uh, as well as uh, remember the, the the things that military service um, heaps on some people. Right, we're guilty of, uh, of 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 turning our remembrance podcast into into a platform for other things. Um, can I just round this up with, with uh, perhaps a personal thought? Um, so, Richard, where where will you spend uh, remembrance uh, this year? Given that last year was beset by covid and we couldn't really attend anything so uh we're back out there i i shall be in london i shall be uh, as a gunner i will be at the royal regiment of artillery remembrance parade uh, which is held at hyde park corner uh, and um that year when the traffic is stopped around hyde park corner um but which is a, a mark of the significance and when i go there I will think about the, the, you know, the million gunners that served in the Second World War uh, and the similar number that served in the First World War. And then I will think about the people I served with uh, over 30 or 40 years that you know, have suffered or didn't make it back. 
and then I shall have a reunion with my mates. Alistair, former Commodore, where will you be? Yeah, I mean, by well, this year, I will, I'm um, being privileged to be able to go to the Festival of Remembrance on the Saturday evening, um, which I, I mean, I really look forward to. Uh, it's a very moving event. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's the one which is broadcast and many people sort of see that. Um, so that's what we do on the Saturday. Um, a couple of a week before that, I'm, I've got several slots collecting um, for Royal British Legion in our local Sainsbury's, which I do enjoy. And I've done it for, for quite a few years now, not just because it's the right thing to do and I enjoy it, but you actually see an awful lot of people and it's quite nice for them to you know, have a, to be able to catch up and talk a bit about it to, to some of my friend, my civilian friends. And then on the morning itself, I'll probably I will just be in our local church and there is a small service at the end of it for probably for about 50 to 100 or so people, um, which is quite small and intimate. But um, so I'm not going at the moment going to a, one, of the, one of the bigger ones. And I'm quite happy to be after spending many years around going to remembrance things in various ports and around the world or whatever. I'm quite happy to be to be doing it at home now, um, which is quite, quite nice. I remember one year I was in the Isle of Man uh, laying a reef uh, and it was about um, force eight. And we, there's um, in Douglas, there's the cenotaph or the war memorial is right by the seafront. And it was just wind. We're all in greatcoats. I mean, memorable. And, uh, and I, sometimes I think about these other places where I've been to and having seen that. And I've done it once in Manchester when I was captain of HMS Manchester. Um, so it's a time to reflect on all the other places, that moment around around the country. Everyone is uh, doing it in their own different way, but I do look forward to it. It is very important for us civilians to have uh, veterans at at our church services locally. And we, where I am, we've just lost our last World War Two veteran, and uh, and I mean, until recently we had three of them, which was it was almost like you know, it, it, it was it was it was a tick for us, which was uh, was tremendous. But um, James, how about you? What are you going to do? Uh, as always. Charlie, I'm I'm fairly um, fast, light, and loose. Um, I've got a number of different events that that I may be attending um, over the course of that week, uh, and it's going to be a busy time where I'm going to be catching up with a number of different groups of people and and close friends as well. I think I, I still have a lot of friends that are are still serving. Um, you know, we've lost people since from things like PTSD and and the likes, where you know suicide has kicked in. So um, for me, it's still very raw. Um, with a number, with a number of st- still quite close groups, um, and at the same time, uh, I've got my two boys, so we will do something meaningful to make sure that they have an enjoyable day, and see the the real positive aspect of it um, as to why as to why we should still um, be remembering uh, every year. So Richard, Alistair, James, thank you for joining us. For our listeners, you can find out more about TechVets and how to become a member by visiting techvets.co or searching for TechVets on LinkedIn. If you are a business owner or work for a company in the tech industry and want to find out how to get more veterans into your team, drop James Murphy a message via LinkedIn. You'll find all the contacts you need in the description for this post. We'll be back next month with another TechVets podcast. Thanks for joining us.